Tonight we're starting a new series. Uh, we're calling it So Great a Salvation. This is going to be a, a six-week topical series on uh, really looking at the idea of salvation. What does it mean to be saved? The Bible has a lot of different ways it speaks about that. And so we're going to take the next six weeks looking at various ways that the New Testament in particular describes what happens to you, the benefits that come when you get yourself connected with Jesus Christ by faith. And uh, tonight we're going to begin by looking at the doctrine, uh, the truth of union with Christ. And so what I'm going to do is read a number of passages, uh, all from the letters of Paul. They're going to be up here on the screen. That's probably the best way for you to follow along. Uh, But if you have a Bible with you, you're welcome to take that out. If you have it on a handheld device, that's fine too. Uh, We're going to look at texts in Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Romans. But really where we're going to camp out is Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. That's where we're going to spend the majority of our time. So if you have a Bible with you, you might want to turn there. I'm going to read God's word for us, and uh, then we'll pray and ask God to help us, and then jump in. Okay, so Galatians 2, verse 20 is where I'm going to start. Then I'll, I'll move around and try to tell you where I'm going. So this is God's word. We believe that it's true and authoritative and uh, meaningful for you now, no matter what's going on in your life. So give it your attention. Gal- The Apostle Paul writing here, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Moving over to Ephesians chapter 2, another letter of the Apostle Paul, beginning in verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses... God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then finally, from Romans, another letter from the Apostle Paul, chapter 6. Where are we starting here? I think verse 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him, that's Jesus, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Let's pray together and ask God to help us rightly understand this part of his word. Please pray with me. Father, we come to you tonight, uh, a people who are needy. Father, we come to you tonight from all sorts of different places, not just geographically, but spiritually and uh, emotionally. Father, some of us here come tired, burdened, weary to our bones after a long week. Some of us... Tonight, Father, come here in pain, either emotional pain or physical pain. Some of us are struggling deeply in significant relationships in our lives. Some of us come here tonight, God, worried and doubting whether you are really for us because we're afraid of what's going to happen next week or next month or in the next year. We're not sure if we're going to have enough money. 
We're not sure how the conversation with our boss or with our employee is going to go. We're not sure how our kids are going to do or how our parents are going to do. Father, some of us come here tonight just flat out feeling apathetic and tired, in need of a, in need of a, a, spiritual, a spiritual reboost. God, we're, we're coming from so many different places. And so we pray tonight that you would come and meet with us and remind us tonight, God, that you are good, that you do care, that you are compassionate and kind to us, your people. Remind us tonight, God, that we're a, we're a great mixture as humans of people created in your image and beautiful and glorious and good, and yet people who are also desperately broken because of our rebellion against you. And most of all, God, will you remind us again tonight, or maybe reveal to us for the first time, that you are a God who loves those who on their own would never come to you, but would always run. You are a God who has gone to the fullest length and depth possible to unite us to your son Jesus and bring us hope and peace and love. We ask tonight that we would believe that message and that it would change everything about us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Anytime someone gets amnesia, it's never good. There's a, there's a number of movies that uh, make use of that motif. You know, the girls typically like, uh, what's the Sandra Bullock, While You Were Sleeping, the Sandra Bullock movie where uh, her love interest forgets what's going on and things go from there. The guys tend to like the born identity where a guy wakes up, doesn't know who he is, but he's like a ninja rock star. I mean, he can take anybody at any time without a, you know, with a toothpick. He can take out a small army. Um, but the, the point of movies like that is that when you wake up and you don't really know who you are, you've forgotten your story, you've forgotten your history, you don't know where to go or where you're from, um, you've definitely got a journey <laughs> awaiting you. Things are about to get interesting. Amnesia is, is something that movies tend to make use of in their storytelling because it's, it's really such a fascinating topic and idea. I'm convinced, however, that many of us, if we're believers in Jesus and if we follow him, oftentimes forget who we are. Maybe you could say that we suffer from a case of spiritual amnesia. We live as if the reality of our identity is foreign to us. You might have been a Christian for decades. You might have been a Christian for one week. You might not be a Christian at all. No matter where you're coming from tonight, spiritually, it's very, very important if you're going to grasp the Christian story, if you're going to grasp the Christian scriptures, if you're going to grasp what Christians say Jesus has done for us in his salvation, you've got to grasp what Jesus has done with your identity. You've got to understand who you are. Really, that's that's the point of this series that we're introducing tonight. We We want to understand more and more deeply what it means to be saved. You know, a place like San Antonio, that's a super common word, and it's usually looked upon with, uh, with smiling faces. But very often, we're uncertain of exactly what is meant. And so what we're going to do in these next six weeks is look at what the Bible means when it speaks of us having a salvation, of, of us being saved. What exactly does, does that look like? And as I mentioned a minute ago, um, 
There's a number of different ways or categories that the Bible uses to tell us what it means to be saved, what it means to be a Christian. You know, it it reminds me when I think about the various ways that the scriptures speak about this subject. Of uh, When I was a a, a student in seminary, I went to Philadelphia for seminary. And uh, my first year and a half or so of school, I was was single. And I, I would travel into center city Philadelphia out from the near suburbs to go to church. And uh, after I finished worship in Center City, Philly, I would make the small walk or drive to the Philadelphia Art Museum. And uh, I'm not a big art guy, but it was free on Sundays, and I was poor and lonely. <laughs> and so I thought, I'll check out the art museum. Let's see what's going on here. And uh, I, I don't know much about art. I had no training in art, but I, I, I in many ways fell in love with, with staring at paintings. And uh, there's actually one painting that I still vividly remember, and actually I, I put it up. Josh, do you have it? This is a painting that was in the Philadelphia Museum of Art. It's a, it's a picture, a painting on canvas of, of the city of Liverpool in London that is hanging in the Philadelphia Museum of Art that I remember looking at for the first time and just being awestruck. And every time I would come back to the museum, I would stop first thing and look at this painting and just sit at the bench right in front of it, and each time I would notice something different. I would say, wow, the light there is amazing. Or the ships, like how they do all those masks is unbelievable. Just the painting blew me away. Okay, take the painting off so they'll start listening again. And, uh, and, and you know, in many ways, each time I saw the painting, I was, I was reminded of the depth of a beautiful piece of art you can, you can look at for a long time and never sort of reach the end of it. That's, in a sense, what what the Bible is doing when it talks about salvation. Each time you read through it, each time you think about it, each time you study the Scriptures and what it means to be a believer in Jesus, you you discern or you pick up on something new. And so these next six weeks, what we're going to do is, is in a sense, we're going to look at the painting of salvation again and again and again from different angles with different perspectives, and we're going to see... How to, what a great thing it is to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ and by his grace. And so tonight we're going to start by looking at this idea of union with Christ, which in many ways is what the Apostle Paul was talking about in these verses that I've read for us. So what is union with Christ? Union with Christ is, it's a summarizing doctrine in the scriptures. It's a It's something that I could, maybe let me introduce it this way. If you were to just take two hours and read through the New Testament, maybe especially the letters of the Apostle Paul, again and again and again, you would see these words, in Christ, all over the place. And you know, you would read that so often that eventually you would just stop thinking about it. It would seem, it would seem natural to you, like if you were a bird flying in the air, air seems natural. Or if you're a fish swimming in the water, water seems natural. It's used by Paul hundreds of times in his letters. And each time he uses that phrase, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, he is, he is in a way summarizing everything it means to be a follower of Jesus. Everything it means to be changed by his grace, seen in the cross and in the empty tomb. And so tonight we want to think just for a couple of minutes tonight about this idea, which in many ways is the centerpiece of salvation. It's, it's the centerpiece of the thought of the Apostle Paul in particular as he tries to communicate to us through the inspired scriptures what it means to be saved, what it means to be a Christian. It means to be in Christ. Listen, when you become a Christian, your identity is wrapped up in Christ's identity. 
And I want you to understand tonight, not just the profundity of that truth, but the beauty of it. And so let me try and summarize everything I want to communicate to you through the scriptures by saying this. Salvation means, salvation means that your identity is found in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, not in who you are and what you have done. Salvation means that your identity is found in who Jesus is is, and what he has done and not in who you are and what you have done. Two ideas for you tonight, two points. First, you are crucified with Christ. Second, you were raised with Christ. That's what Paul tells us here in Galatians 2.20, among other texts. So first, let me show you that you are, if you're a believer in Jesus, crucified with Christ. Look there at Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Now, Paul is, he is stretching the limits of what language can communicate here in order to show you the amazing reality of what happens when you Place your trust in the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And notice there that he uses the past tense. Did you catch that? I have been. This is a reality that has already taken place in the life of the believer. It's past tense. And it's also passive. It's something that has happened to you. He doesn't say, I crucify sin with Christ. No, he says, I have been. God has operated on me in such a way that the reality of my life right now is as one who has been crucified. What Paul is saying here is that when you become a believer, when you trust in Jesus by faith, your connection with the Savior is so intimate and so vital and so close that the apostle can say that what Jesus experienced and what Jesus went through and what happened to Jesus in a certain way, you also have experienced. You also have gone through. It has also happened to you. It's, it's unbelievable, really, to think about. Paul's saying that, that what marks you in God's sight If you've trusted Jesus, is not your own experience. It's the experience of Jesus himself. This is so much the case that Paul can say that he himself has been crucified with Christ. When Jesus died, in a sense, Paul died. When Jesus died, if you trust him, you died. What happened to Jesus in reality is applied to your experience, the moment in which you believe. You are seen by God. As one who has been crucified. Now we often say that part of what it means to be a Christian is that you believe that Jesus died for you. Now that's obviously true. That's obviously very important. But Paul's taking that a step further here. He's saying that being a Christian doesn't just mean that you believe that Jesus died for you. It means that you died with Jesus. Now what exactly does that mean? I mean, it doesn't obviously mean that you like physically died if you're a Christian. I mean, you're still living and breathing and walking. I think Romans 6 can help us here. I read that text just a minute ago. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. There Paul says that we, our old self or our old man was crucified. Same word, again, past tense. Was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Listen, your old person, 
Everything that defined your identity before you became a follower of Christ by God's grace has been put to death in the cross of Jesus. Everything that once marked you, everything that you once identified yourself by, everything that once typified who you were, when Jesus died and you connect with him by faith, those things those things die as well. Your, your old man, the former you, that person is no more. He has been crucified. He has died with Jesus. You're, you're so closely united with Jesus that God already views you now as out of the power and the dominion of sin of your former life, just as much as Jesus himself is out of it. Can you believe that? I mean, what does that mean practically? I mean, there's so much I could say here, but let me just put it this way. Among other things, it means the fact that if you've trusted Jesus, you have been crucified with Christ means that you can be absolutely certain of God's undying, unfailing love. It means that you are no longer defined by the things that you have done. You are defined by the things that Jesus has done. You are no longer defined, if you're a follower of Christ, by your failures. You're defined by Jesus' success. You're no longer defined by your guilt. You're defined by Jesus' righteousness. You're no longer defined by your loneliness. You're defined by Jesus' welcome. You're no longer defined as a rebel, a traitor against the good and great king, God. No, you're defined as a beloved son or daughter of his. You see, what it means to be crucified with Christ means that what defines your existence is not what has happened to you. What defines your existence is what happened to Jesus. God does not see you as guilty any longer because you've been crucified. That person is dead. God does not see you as condemned any longer. You've been crucified. That person is gone. God doesn't see you as condemned any longer. You've been crucified. God doesn't any longer view you as an enemy, as a stranger, as a foreigner, because you have been crucified with Christ. The old you is gone. God will no more stop loving you than God would stop loving Jesus himself. God will take no less delight in you when you get connected to Christ by faith, then God delights in his only begotten son, Jesus himself. You have been crucified. The old you is no more. One of my favorite movies is The Shawshank Redemption. Many sermon illustrations there. Slightly behind The Lord of the Rings in the sermon illustration category for me. Um, And one of the great things I love about The Shawshank Redemption, it's about... um, a man played by Tim Robbins. His name is Andy Dufresne, and he's wrongly accused and convicted of murdering his wife, and he's sentenced to life in prison. And uh, part of the understory as the movie goes along is that he's plotting this escape from the Shawshank Penitentiary. And because he sort of has it in with the warden and is doing his taxes and has some access to the outside world, he's he's able in reality to uh, to erase the person that he once was and create a completely new identity. 
So that when he eventually makes his miraculous escape, I'm not going to give it away, but he does get away. And by the way, if you haven't seen the Shawshank Revenge, just leave. You have my permission to leave and go see it. Um, when he finally gets out of prison, he's, he's really a new person. The person he once was no longer exists legally. He is completely set free from his conviction. He's completely set free from his imprisonment. He's completely set free that everything that once held him back and restrained him and free. That's exactly what has happened to you, Paul says, when you have been saved, when you've trusted in Jesus, you are so closely attached to him that when he died, Paul can say you died. That when he was crucified, you in the inside, in your spiritual life, were crucified. That's the gospel. That's the good news. But there's more, amazingly. Paul not only says that Your identity means that you are crucified with Christ. He also says that your identity means you are raised with Christ. Look at Galatians 2.20 again. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. We've covered that. It's no longer I who live. Listen, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I no longer live in the the flesh. I no longer live. It's by faith that I live it. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul's saying that your identity isn't just wrapped up in Jesus' death so that the old you is gone, but your identity is also wrapped up in Jesus' resurrected life so that a new you has come. You see, you see, you and Jesus are sort of in a you're in a spiritual three-legged race together. Any of you ever run a three-legged race? That was the peak of my athletic career in fourth and fifth grade. Back to back, Belmar Elementary School champions. Me and Brian Bice, three-legged race. Um, that's where, you know, you, you tie your right leg to another person's left leg or vice versa. Uh, and you get with a team of other people, a big group of other people, and you race. Although you have to say in complete coordination, it, the fluidity of the prowess that was exhibited in fourth grade was amazing. Um, you have to stay connected with them. You have to stay in the same motion and in the same movement. And, and really, Paul's saying here that you're connected with Jesus in, in just such a way. You're connected so closely with him that what happened to him in his death also happened to you. And what happens to him in his resurrection also happens to you. you you're raised. The life you now live, you live in Jesus. Paul says that more clearly in some of these other passages that I read. Ephesians chapter 2, notice here he says, when we were dead in our trespasses, God, past tense, made us alive together with Christ, in Christ, union, by grace you have been saved. And then get this, he raised us up, past tense, with him, and seated us, past tense, with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 3. If you have, or since, that's a better translation, since you have been, past tense, you have already been raised with Christ. Because that's true, seek the things that are above. Verse 3, you have died. Your life is right now hidden with Christ in God. Romans 6, 11, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive right now to God in Christ Jesus. On the inside, in your spiritual self, you are at this very moment, if you've trusted Christ, no less raised from the dead than Jesus himself. The power that rose Jesus' dead corpse from the dead to eternal life and that currently resides in him through the Holy Spirit if you're a believer in Jesus, that same resurrection power is at this moment 
coursing through your spiritual veins. You see, you see, God already sees you through, through the lens of what Jesus has done. So that Paul can say things like that to you in the past tense. You have been raised. You are already, in reality, sitting with Jesus in the heavenly, in the heavenly places. That's, that's how closely united Christians are to their Savior. What he experienced, you experience. Right now, we might not feel very raised. We might not feel very seated in the heavenly places. That sounds like Paul just kind of getting high and lofty. But I feel pretty dead. I feel pretty earthbound often. What Paul's saying here is that, yeah, that's not yet fully manifest. Obviously, you don't yet have a a resurrection body. But what's true of you on the inside, your, your spiritual self, your heart condition, it's, it's pulsing with the resurrection life of Jesus. And he's saying when you get that that is what fundamentally orients the person you are, you begin to experience change on the outside as well. And you hope in the fact that one day what's going on the inside is going to match what's going on on the outside and you're going to attain a resurrection body that will never die, that will never perish, that will never, never spoil, that will never, never fade, just like Jesus presently has right now. All that is a foregone conclusion, so much so that Paul can say, these things might as well have already happened. You have been raised. You're seated with him right now. The victory has been won. All you are is a cheerleader. Yay, Jesus. You don't have to score a touchdown spiritually. You don't have to hit a home run. You don't have to make the goal to beat the bad guys. It's all done. Just be happy. Jesus is the superstar, and you're on the same team. You know, the great reality of union with Christ is something that in many ways takes a lifetime to really begin to understand. The fact that Paul can say something like that. I, right now, have been crucified with Jesus, so that the old me is no more. And I am raised up right now with him. But when we when we begin to understand that, among other things, we can, you know, we can finally begin to obey. We can finally begin to live a life that is pleasing in God's sight. We can finally begin to experience health and flourishing in human relationships. And the reason we can finally begin to experience those things is because you already have the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the resurrected Jesus at work inside you. And in a sense, all of the Bible, all of the New Testament is saying, be who you already are. You know, my dad, when I was a teenager, and I would do something stupid, which was frequent. I don't ever do anything stupid now, just when I was a teenager. But um, when I was a teenager, I would do stupid stuff sometimes. And and my dad would say, would you act your age? Just act your age. You're 15, 16, whatever years old, act like it. You know, that's what the New Testament is commanding you to do. Act like who you are. You're already dead to sin. It has no power over you. You're already alive to God in Christ Jesus. Go for it. And you know what? That's unique to Christianity. You see, every other religion... Every other way of thinking, every other philosophy and worldview says, if you can measure up, if you can achieve a certain status, if you can attain a certain spiritual pinnacle or height, then I'll give you the power. Then I'll make you an insider. Then you can be a part of my family. No, no, no. 
Christianity says, no, God gives us everything he requires at the outset through Jesus. You already have the power to conquer sin. You already have the power to live a new life. Jesus is alive and you're alive with him. Now go act like it. The way you can experience hope and change in your marriage is by believing who you really are. The way you can experience newness and happiness and joy and peace in your spiritual life is by believing who you already are in Christ. The way you can, the way you can grow closer to God is by believing who you are. It's not by trying harder to get there. It's by realizing that you're already there and then living in the joy and freedom of that reality. You have been crucified. You have been raised. That's the gospel. That's what it means to be saved. Let me cap it off with this. Only thing that is required for you to gain access to that reality. The only thing that is required for you to, for you have your experience identified by Jesus' experience is to trust. It's to believe. It's to embrace that God fully and freely offers this to you. Because you deserve it, not because you merit it, not because you earn it, not because you've been a good little Christian for the last three weeks. No, simply because God is gracious and loving. He offers you complete identification with his only begotten son solely by faith. If you've never believed that before, believe it. If you've believed it for decades, believe it. Your identity is so wrapped up in Jesus' identity that Paul can say to you, that you have been crucified and you have been raised. Sinclair Ferguson's one of my uh, favorite preachers, Scottish guy. You should listen to his sermons. He's a wonderful man. And uh, he uses an illustration to make this point about um, the ugly duckling, the story of Hans Christian Andersen. Uh, and, you know, you probably have heard the story. The ugly duckling feels rejected and uh, doesn't feel like anybody will ever accept him, that he'll never have any friends, and as he swims around with the other ducks, he feels like the outcast. He's always, you know, the proverbial last person picked in the pickup basketball game, right? And uh, everyone tells him, you just need to do this, and you just need to do this, and if you can do this, and if you can do this. And then finally, one day in despair, he looks down and sees his reflection in the pond that he's swimming around in and notices that he is not an ugly duckling at all. He is, he's a beautiful, majestic swan. And when he understands the reality of his new identity, he's able to experience acceptance. He's able to experience hope. He's able to experience renewal. He, he changes. None of us, although we certainly feel like it at times, in God's eyes are ugly ducklings. All of us, through connecting with Jesus by faith, are looked at by God as beloved, as sons and daughters whom he will never let go, as children whom he will never turn away, as heirs of everything that he has won for us through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. Believe these things to be true. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, let's pray. Our Father, we love you and we thank you for your grace to us in the gospel.
And we thank you, O God, that you use different ways and categories to relate to us the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done. What he has done for us, God. Not just for humanity in general, not just for the church in general, but for me. God loves me. God sent Jesus to die for me personally. And because I believe that, I personally now have a new identity. I have a new hope. I've experienced radical transformation. So much so that the Bible can say of me that I've been crucified. The old me is done. He's been annihilated, wiped out. Behold, the new has come. We are in Christ a new creation. Father, help us to embrace and believe and hold on tightly by faith to these realities so that they will begin to work their transformative impact in our lives. For we need, again and again, to be reminded by you of who we are. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.